section number 15 of A Fair Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sandra Estenson. A Fair Mystery by Bertha M. Clay. Gregory Leslie, seated before his easel, saw the young couple returning to the house. No need to tell him what happened. The triumphant lover was in every line of Earl's face. Gregory Leslie sighed. Earl had won the most beautiful girl in England for his wife. But the artist was a deep student of human nature, and he read in Doris a disposition intensely worldly and selfish, an ambition that nothing could satisfy a moral weakness that would break a promise as easily as Samson broke the seven green withs. Doris ran away from Earl into the garden and left him to enter the house alone. Gregory was the first one he saw. "'Wish me joy!' he cried exultantly. "'With all my heart, what you have won may you keep.' "'I have no fear,' said Earl the gentleman, she loves me. You have the original, I the picture. This picture will wake the curiosity of the world, said Gregory, looking at his work. But you will not tell who or where is the original. I do not want my Doris to be pursued by a crowd of idle, curious people. On honor, no, said Gregory, holding out his hand. Then Earl went on to find Mark and Patty. Patty heard the news with a bewildered shake of her head. There's no counting on Doris, she said. I thought she was playing with you. We shall see how it will turn out. I hope you will be happy. I'm sure they will be, spoke up Maddie and left the room. There's your mother to be consulted, said Mark. She will be ready for anything that makes me happy. And Doris is too young. She cannot be married for a year yet, said Mark decidedly. She must have time to know her mind and settle herself. If it were Maddie, now I'd feel different. Maddie's two years older, and she has a steadier nature. But it's not Maddie. Thank fortune, for Maddie is my right hand, spoke up Patty sharply for she had read a little of her own child's cherished secret. Earl was so overjoyed to get the promise of Doris that he counted the year of probation a day and saw nothing of Gregory Leslie's incredulity, of Patty's hesitation, of the anxiety of Mark, or of Maddie's shy withdrawing. These young lovers are selfish, even the best of them. Patty roused herself to do justice to the occasion. She set forth a table with her best damask and the few old pieces of family silver. She spread out the choicest of her culinary stores and invited Gregory Leslie to dine. And Mattie crowned the board with flowers and put on her best dress, while Doris played the young fiancé to sweet perfection. Yet the keen eyes of the artist read not only Mattie's hidden pain, but Patty's sorrow and anxiety, and saw that Mark was not a rural father, joyful in a good match for his child. 
but a man in dire perplexity, uncertain what was right and wise for him to do. This girl and all her surroundings are a mystery, said the artist to himself. Earl Moray saw no mystery. All was broad day in the light of his love. It seemed high noon even, when he went home at night, and the heavens were lit with starry hosts. Doris had kept him late, not unmindful of the mother watching alone to hear her boy's tale of wooing, mindful of her, rather, and finding it a pleasure to tantalize the unknown mother by a long delay. But once free of the beguiling voice of his little siren, Earl remembered heartily his mother, and hurried to her as if his feet were winged with sandals of Apollo. He flung open the gate with a crash, his joyous tread rang on the gravel walk, he dashed into the house and into the sitting-room, and dropping on his knees by his mother, clasped his arms around her waist and cried, "'Mother, she is mine!' "'Heaven bless you, my son,' said the mother. But she sighed. "'You will go and see her, mother, tomorrow? You will see how wonderfully lovely she is, witty and accomplished, too. You are sure to be charmed, mother.' If he had chosen a beggar-maid, like King Cafetua, the mother would have made the best of it. Yet in her secret heart, Mrs. Moray thought Earl too young to marry, and besides this girl was very young, and who knew if she would be a good wife? Earl's poetizing and dreaming were bad enough, but his love-making was even worse. Still, his mother hid her fears, and sympathized, and helped him plan his future, while in her soul she blessed Mark Brace for that year's delay. Accustomed from childhood to open his heart to his mother, Earl poured forth to her the full story of his love, his adoration, his intoxicating passion for Doris. The mother heard and trembled. His was not a love of a Christian man for a wife, but of a pagan for the idol in his shrine. She felt that this love could not be blessed or bring blessing. It was earthly, infatuated, unreasoning, terrible. She trembled. Yet trembling did not foresee the stormy and dreadful way that this love should lead her boy, nor in what horror and blackness its grave should be. While Mrs. Moray and her son forgot the flight of time, one in anxiety, the other in overflowing joy, Mark Brace and Patty at Brackenside Farm also kept vigils. They were perplexed to know what was right. "'It was terrible to send us a child in that way,' cried Patty. "'We cannot tell what we should do with her.' "'I think we can,' said Mark. "'We were told to do as by our own. "'We would give Maddie to Earl if they both wished. "'We can give Doris. "'No doubt her mother will be glad to know "'that she is safe and in the care of a husband.' but if they come to reclaim her, as I have expected. They gave her to us, unasked, and must abide by our decision. Besides, here is a year's delay, and the engagement no secret. If the unknown mother watches her child, let her make known her rights and interfere. 
and the letter said she was of noble blood. Earl Moray is a good man, a gentleman, and a scholar. But what would he think of this secret? They believe Doris to be ours, the same as Maddie. There's the rub, said Mark. But here, to be honest, we must break the silence. Not to Doris, but to Earl. We must tell Earl and his mother all the truth that we know. Married life goes ill, Patty, begun in mystery. Possibly Mrs. Moray will not consent. I think it will make no difference. If it does, we have done our duty, and that is all our trouble. I believe her mother is some poor timid soul, secretly married and perhaps now dead, and the father also. Patty sighed, and a look of trouble and conviction was in her face. She had thoughts about Doris that she did not tell even to Mark. Love and trouble always come together, sighed Patty. Doris has been a great help to us as well as a great care, said Mark. Her money saved us from ruin and put us on our feet. I have done honestly by her, and I have not forgotten that she has helped us. But I admit she fills me with anxiety and is a strange element in our home. Once she is well married and gone, I think we shall be very happy together. I'll save this year's hundred pounds to give her a good outfit and give her next year's hundred for a wedding present. She has had all the money since she was twelve, said Patty. True, but for the first twelve years I did not spend half of it on her. Next day, Earl brought his mother and proudly presented Doris to her. Mrs. Moray, making allowances for the enthusiasm of a lover, had expected to find a rosy, pretty country girl. She saw a dainty, high-bred beauty of the most exquisite and aristocratic type. She looked in wonder at Doris, and then helplessly at Mark and Patty. "'How little your daughter resembles you!' she cried. Patty blushed. Honest Mark studied the carpet pattern. The pretty lips of Doris curled scornfully. Mrs. Moray suspected a mystery. Mark Brace spoke up. I'd like a word with you and your son in the garden, ma'am. Doris watched the three angrily from the window. What is father saying that I may not hear? See how oddly Mrs. Moray looks, and Earl too. What is he saying? Perhaps that he has no fortune to give you, hinted Patty. My face is my fortune, cried Doris pettishly. Dear child, do not be so vain. Suppose you lost that fortune. Then I'd kill myself. I would not live unbeautiful. Poor Patty held up her hands in horror. End of section 15